Right, this morning, if you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11 will be the passage that, that we will get into a little bit this morning. Most of you know we're in a series called Slow, and the journey that we're on is to find how God is working in different ways while we slow different aspects of our life down. Some of the things that we're used to that move fast or that, that maybe even our desire for our own journey is to speed things up because we want to get to the conclusion or we want to get through some pain and suffering because the faster that it concludes, the better we believe that we'll feel on the other side. Sometimes it's to get just through things that we don't like or don't want to do. That there are seasons that we just want to fast forward. For me, winter is one of those seasons that I just want to fast forward. I love spring and summer, a little bit of fall. I love sunshine. I loved earlier this week when I'm hanging outside playing basketball with kids in a street. I did not like what I saw when I woke up this morning and how cold it was. I want winter to just be done, but it felt like it just came back a little bit. There are some things that I just want to go fast. I want to get to Christmas. I want Christmas to go slow. And then I want it to be summer. I just want to just fast forward the rest of it. Let's just get there. And there are other things that I enjoy the slowness of. I enjoy vacations. I never want those to end. I enjoy my trips to Monterey to hang out with my friends at Back to Back and to run retreats. I, I don't want those to ever end. I don't try to speed up those weeks. I like them to slow down. A bonfire with friends. A good soccer match. Then there are times where I want it to go fast and then I want it to slow down really quickly. I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, so Friday night when we had a lead, I just wanted the clock to go. And then it gets to the end of the game. I'm like, no, 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 just a few more seconds because we're down one. And you want it to slow down. There's this tension of when we want things to go fast and when we want things to go slow. When I'm on a highway, I always want it to go fast. There's never been a moment on a highway that I've ever wanted it to go slow. To some extent, that's cost me financially. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. But then when I'm in the woods on a hike with my family, I don't ever want it to go fast. There is this balance in our life that we have to have different speeds because if things are always going so fast, we'll never appreciate the slow. But if everything goes too slow, we never appreciate when things speed up. And I think there's a balance that's needed, but what we've been going through in this series is to figure out what things in our lives have been going too fast that a little bit of slowing down might help. And I hope that at some point in this series, there's been one of these different messages that has really just grabbed you. For me, it's been the conversation of slowness around my, my whole approach to life is that I need to slow down enough to be grateful and to be encouraging. We talked a little bit about that as Johannes was teaching us, that sometimes we don't slow down enough to respond to circumstances with gratitude and encouragement. And so far in all of this series, that idea of even in difficult things, to slow down and find gratitude so that I can encourage has been overwhelming to me, especially at work. I've had a lot of 
engaging conversations and a lot of tough stories with the youth that we're working with that I've found and organizations. It's hard to partner with other organizations. We say it back to back. The hardest thing that we do is partnership. And I've been critical. I've been super critical of a lot of our partnerships. And this series of making me slow down and wake up in the morning and say, but I'm grateful that at this partnership there are 27 young men who before this, part, this, this organization existed had no hope of having a safe adult in their life. So the organization may be a train wreck. Our partnership may be hard. But there are 27 young men who have a safe place to go to four days a week after school. And I'm grateful for that. Now how can I encourage that organization? That, just that idea has changed the way that I enter meetings. It's changed the way that I have conversations. It's changed the way that I write vision plans. Of just the thoughtfulness of saying in this morning, how am I grateful and how can I encourage? And it's, it's spoken to me. This morning's um, theme is speaking to me as well. It's the idea of slowing down so that we can be hospitable. Slowing down the church's approach to hospitality. The idea of receiving people in with gratitude and kindness. Are you centered around hospitality in your life? I started thinking as I was preparing for this, I, this idea around hospitality. Who's the person that in my life is the most hospitable. Who's the person that brings me in that I always feel safe and I always feel welcome? And two names came to my mind. The first was my grandmother. She's passed away. But she was always ready to welcome people into her home, especially us as grandchildren, with sticks of peppermint gum. She always smelled like peppermint gum. And coffee, even when I was too young. She gave me my first cup when I was six. And she would shower us with meals and food of whatever our liking was. So whichever grandkid was coming to her house, there would always be that meal ready that that grandkid liked. She was always thinking about the individual and welcoming them in. Kids from our, her neighborhood would come and stay over and spend time at my grandparents' house. And my grandfather would teach them how to use tools. And my grandmother would make them their favorite food. And sometimes I would even show up and go, who are these kids and why are they taking my stuff? Like, that's my grandmother. Leave her alone. Like, she's supposed to have, like, Chanel Number no. 5 over perfume over my shoulders, not yours. Like, give me my grandma back. She was so welcoming and hospitable whenever we were there. The second is this author by the name of Bob Goff. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He wrote the book called Love Does. And he wrote a book called Everybody Always. Well, several years ago, I was invited to an event in Chicago by my friend Steve Carr, interestingly enough. He was like, there's this, there's this gathering of creatives in Chicago. Do you want to go? I'm like, absolutely, I want to go. I looked at the price of this trip to Chicago and I was like, I absolutely do not want to go because I don't have margin to be able to spend all of the cost to go to Chicago. I can't get my family there. And something interesting happened that Steve had friends who had won tickets to this conference and he was already taken care of. So he had his friend call me and this strange girl calls and says, hey, I have a free ticket to this conference. Do you want it? I'm like, absolutely. She's like, well, you're going to have to come to Northern Kentucky to pick it up. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, I'm driving 
to this girl's house in northern Kentucky to pick up a ticket, and I've never met her. And she's like, oh, by the way, I also, if you want them, I have Red's Cubs tickets, and I'm not going to be able to make it. So if you'll take these tickets to Chicago, you can have one because I have three people that are waiting on the other tickets. Like, so free Red's Cubs at Wrigley? I'm in, yes, for sure. Now I just have to call Sarah and say, I'm going to have to leave you for a weekend and go to this conference and watch the Reds play the Cubs at Wrigley by myself. I'm sorry. And her response, because she's loving and kind, was, I can't wait for you to go. This is an awesome opportunity. Now, this was one of the weirdest conferences ever. The Reds game, amazing. Reds beat the Cubs Steve makes such a scene at that show that Joey Votto gives him a baseball or something, right? I think, didn't that, his hat, it was his hat that I see. I'm 12 rows back behind home plate for this game, like free tickets, 12 rows back behind home plate at Wrigley Field for the first time ever. I'm eating a Chicago hot dog, sitting next to strangers that I just brought tickets for. I look over at the first baseline and there's Steve yelling like madman just, and Joey's just like, hey, you're a Reds fan, here's my hat. I'm like, only Steve Carr do these things ever happen to. Only him. Game finishes. Next morning we wake up. We go to this convention-ish creative place. And as you're coming in, it's like a carnival. Like there are, there are people on unicycles that are dressed up in different costumes and acrobats and jugglers. I, it was the weirdest thing that I had ever seen as I was walking in to learn. And I go in and sit down. And as I sit down to listen to the session, this man walks out on stage, older gentleman wearing a blue Oxford, and he introduces himself as Bob Goff. And I've never heard of him before. And as he starts to speak, he tells this story of how he lives in California, but he set his office up on Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. He bought a season pass to Disneyland, and whenever he has a meeting with someone influential, he tells them to meet him at Magic Kingdom, and he takes them over to Tom Sawyer's Island, and they have their meeting, because he's like, there's no better way to get through tension than to sit on Tom Sawyer's Island and to hear all of the joy that is the Magic Kingdom while you're trying to make some type of deal go down. He was a lawyer. So he's making deals to go down at Tom Sawyer's Island. So I text Sarah immediately because we love Disney. Our daughter, Sunny, has been there over 30 times. She's 12. It's ridiculous. Like, she should probably pray for us. And so I text Sarah, and I'm like, hey, I just met our new best friend. His name is Bob, and he's speaking on stage. And he said he set up his office on Tom Sawyer Island in California. We should claim the Florida one. Like, let's just move, and I'll claim that as my office. This is a great idea, and then I'll get a pass We'll write it off as a business expense. It'll be great. And she was like, you should meet him. Be his friend. That's all she texted me back. You should meet him. Be his friend. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. In the next few minutes, I was making that tough decision as to whether I needed to download his book, like, in a Kindle version, or I was actually going to buy a physical copy, right? Like, that's our tough decisions that we make in this current wave of media. I'm like, do I, do I just download it or do I go buy it? I hadn't made the decision. I walk out of the room and as I walk out of the room, I just almost run into a blue Oxford. I walk out of the door and as I'm walking, he has gotten off stage and is walking out of the door and there he stands and like, he's, he's way taller than me, which is just normal for everyone. And he's looks over and he's like, you. <laughs> I'm like, me? Yeah, right. You need my book. And he just grabs a book from his assistant that's standing next to him and hands it to me. And he's like, here. 
have a good day. And I'm like, yeah, I needed to talk to you because, and I tell him the Tom Sawyer story. I'm like, hey, this is, we go to Disney. And he's like, we will be great friends. And he envelops me with a hug. At that point in my life, I was not a hugger at all. Like physical touch was really foreign for me. I didn't really like it, especially when someone is like 6'3", and they're just enveloping me with all of their body. And I'm like, hi, yeah. And he whispers in my ear, my number is in the back of my book. Call me when you're in California and we'll go to Disneyland together. I'm like, what? You're crazy. That can't be real. And so I walk away and Bob just walks down and then he just starts like, you, to the next person that he sees. And he hugs him, you need my book. And I was like, you're not nice. You're marketing right now. I see what you're doing. But I felt like Bob Goff and I are now best friends. We're going to work together on Tom Sawyer's Island. It's going to be amazing. He just oozes this welcoming hospitality. He would later go on to say that his goal in life is to give away love like he's made of it. That's always stuck with me of the idea that you could just give away love like you're made of it. And I think that's the core of what a life of hospitality looks like. Is that we would give away love like we were made of it. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, that's the version I'm reading from, varied grace, Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serves who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you go back up to verses 7 through 9, I want to spend a few minutes there. When, when Peter is saying that the end of all things is, is at hand, it's interesting as to whether or not he believes that Jesus has resurrected and gone to heaven and that the return is imminent because of the state of the world around him. And so he's, he's writing as if that there's an, an immediate return of Jesus coming and the world is going to end. Or if he is writing in, in two other options. One, the, the end could be at hand by he's saying all that the old covenant and the new covenant has promised is here. We now get to live in it. Like the end is at hand in that we're not waiting on another Jesus. We're not waiting on another savior. We're not waiting on another redemption or another covenant. This is the fullness of the covenant. So the end of new things coming to you is at hand. Now we get to live in it until the forever. There's the possibility that he's talking that way. There's the other possibility that in this letter of 1 Peter that he's writing in such a way um, that he is saying the suffering is great around us. So it feels imminent that this is all about to be over. That this is a hard, painful season to follow Jesus in the world. And that everything feels... Like, all of it is on the line. It feels like each day could be the last day. It feels like each moment of suffering is going to be the last moment of suffering. And it feels like there's going to be this, this is just done here for us in this place. And you could take any of those perspectives and get to the same conclusion that, Paul, that Peter is saying, let's pursue 
a relationship through Jesus with one another and the world as if we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Let's pursue the best version of our following Jesus as if this thing's going to be too heavy tomorrow and the whole thing's going to tip over and it's going to be done. Like there was an There was an urgency in his voice for one of those reasons. And so his response to the urgency in verse 8 is to keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And I believe that that's the first step of us pursuing hospitality as a church, as a community, as a family, in neighborhoods, is that we should let love cover sin Instead of vengeance and justice bringing validation to our rightness or our piety. You see the difference? Sometimes we want to offer hospitality to the world because we want them to come into our house so that we can invite them to pay the price for how wrong they were. We want to bring people close so that we can tell them how wrong they were so that then they can be with us forever because our, our urgency in response to eternity has said, I need to remind you that you were wrong so that you'll want to live right. I don't know how many times someone has shown me how wrong I was that it actually made me go, oh, you know, you were right. I just want to just give you control of my life. But I can tell you the flip side that when someone came in and offered me love and said, whatever you're going through must be really hard because you're making some decisions that seem like they're really painful, like they're damaging you, how can I help? I don't know how many times that type of statement has disarmed me and my defensiveness goes away and says, wait a minute, you didn't want to judge me? You didn't want to pick on all the decisions that I have made poorly? You just, you just want to be with me? I'll stay in that house. I'll dwell in that house a little longer. But the house of judgment and the house of wrath and that, the house of criticism, I want to get out of that house as quick as I can. But the house of love, of earnest love, of of love that says I can give this away because I'm made of it, not the type of love that believes that if I give away too much I'll run out and, and I won't be able to love anyone anymore, but the love that says I can give this to those who hurt because this is what I'm made of now. This is what Jesus has given me. This is the currency that he's promised me to steward. So I might as as well give away love like I made of it and created for it. Because this is the step to people wanting to dwell and live with us is that when we give away love, completely and fully, one of the life principles that I've written down underneath this for my own life in an umbrella that I have to remind myself every time is that everyone belongs even before they believe. It's like the big thing for me. Is there so many times that I was taught this, this bounded mentality that there's a circle and that Jesus is the name inside the circle 
And then everyone stands outside the circle until there's this moment where then they choose to belong. And then they're in. And then once they're inside the circle, they get all of the blessings of Jesus. And the more that I read scripture, the more that I find that circle was, was really fake. There's Jesus. And then there's people. And we're either walking toward him or we're stuck stagnantly or we're walking away. But there's him and there's people and everyone belongs even before they believe. It just depends on which direction that we're walking. And that earnest love says there's Jesus and everyone belongs. I want to offer love so that everyone wants to turn around and start walking toward him because there is no circle. It's just opportunity for us to offer love like we're made of it. And then show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's very, I was so intrigued by the grumbling word of like, so I'm supposed to show hospitality without the grumbling side. It, it feels like an, an homage to Mary and Martha, right? It feels like it's this idea of I've been serving everyone in my house and I have the creator of the world and I'm angry at my sister because she's not helping me kind of tension. That it feels like there. I'm so frustrated because we're working with orphaned and vulnerable children. Where are you? That critical aspect. Or we're working with ostracized communities. Where are you? We're trying to do this on a shoestring bus budget. Where are you? We're working with special needs. Where are you? Like there's this, this kind of self gratifying pursuit of I'm willing to welcome anybody in. But it's us against the world. And we need an enemy in order to find motivation. That's hospitality with grumbling. Is that I'm willing to welcome everyone in and I'm willing to help and to share. But I need an enemy. I need someone to fight. I need, a, I need someone to compete against. And so I create this enemy of the world of saying, but it's us against the world. Why? Because I need something to motivate me in order to make the sacrifices that I'm sacrificing, which I believe Peter here is illustrating as, this means that you have a gap between you and love. When love is your motivation, your hospitality comes without grumbling because you're doing it for the sake of being hospitable. Not for the gratification or the reward that will be reciprocated to you from whoever you are hosting. Hospitality with grumbling comes when we expect that my gift to you of sharing who I am and how I've been wired is so that you will tell me back how good I am for you. And Peter, I believe, is giving us a warning here because hospitality in that approach is actually placing us as an idol that steps in in someone's life in place of Jesus. Here's what I mean, is that when someone comes to me and I meet their needs and I create a safe space and they find some type of protection from whatever was happening in the world and I host with whatever I'm gifted in, however I'm wired, and they must then give back to me and say, I'm grateful to you, thank you, I couldn't have done this without you. You have no idea how bad my life was. Now it's safe. Now with you it's safe. Those are all words that sound like they should be going to God because he's the one who's doing the saving. He's the one who's doing the redeeming. He's the one who's doing the gifting. He's the one who's doing the transformation. But when it comes to me, then I go, oh, that feels really good. More, more, more of that. 
And Peter's warning us that hospitality without grumbling is actually hosting in love for love's sake, not hosting in lust for self-gratification. Because when I host in lusting for that gratification of just being with you, then I'm setting myself up on a pedestal so that at some point I get knocked down. And I'm going to fail you because the burden of your story is too great. I'm going to fail you because at the time that you believe that you needed me, I'm not going to be able to come through. I'm going to fail you because I can't die for your sin and resurrect those into a new life. I'm going to fail you because my love at some level is going to become conditional and there's going to be one step that I can't take. I'm going to fail you and so if my hospitality is built on reciprocation, then I'm going to fail you. But if my hospitality is built on love, and it's the love of Christ, it comes with a promise that it does not fail. It cannot be broken. And it is showered with overwhelming grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Another reminder that in a community of grace and hospitality, there is no room for competition or shame. I host and am hospitable completely different than my grandmother. Goal is not to compare myself with her. I can't hug like Bob Goff. That's for sure. I also don't have free books to give away. I haven't written anything. My gifting and your gifting are are probably significantly different. And this is yet another warning to us and encouragement that comparison has no value in God's kingdom. There's no point to it. But gratitude that someone can serve differently than me frees me to serve the way I was invited to serve. It frees me to be the fullness of whoever and however I was created. I've alluded to this story throughout my ministry. There was a time as a youth minister that I believed that you were not any good as a youth minister unless you wore some thong sandals, had some nice cut off at the bottom jeans, had some dyed hair like everyone was the real Slim Shady at that point and you had to have two earrings and you needed to be able to play an acoustic guitar. I had all of them except the last one. There are pictures. I hope you never find them. Yeah, can you imagine? Like white blonde hair for me and I worked at Abercrombie. (laughs) I know, I know. Oh, God can change your life completely. And so I asked the church that I was serving for a guitar, and it said one time that Santa, like on the card, Santa provided a guitar in front of my office door. Like, I walk in to go into my office, and it says guitar, and then to Chris from Santa. So Santa and Jesus are obviously working together now in this whole grand scheme. I unlock the acoustic guitar, I open it, I strum the thing, and I'm like, cool call our worship leader at the time and say, how much for you to teach me guitar? 
He's like, let's just try one lesson and then we'll see from there. Because right? I think he, he knew early on, I don't think you have this. Like, I think that you need an ear for this and I'm pretty sure you don't have it. Um, there's a thing that's going to be involved called rhythm. I'm, I've seen you at church. I'm pretty positive this doesn't exist for you. So he comes in and sits down and he shows me the guitar and he shows me what I should do with it. By the third time that he met with me, I had already handed the guitar off to a fifth grader and said, here, I believe that God has anointed you as a worship leader. <laughs> Get this thing out of my office and please do great things with it so I don't feel shame for even asking for it in the first place. Interesting in that story is that he is now a worship leader who is marrying a woman from Peru and they're going to leave to be missionaries um, in the next year together and he's going to be a worship leader in another country. Um, He's taken my guitar, so somehow it's my story. But there was a time that I was like, I'm a failure because I can't. Instead of watching someone else who was brilliant with music and going, oh, I love that, so I don't have to. Peter's encouraging us that you can be hospitable without it having to be inviting everyone into your physical home every night. Maybe your way of hospitality is different. We talk themes of hospitality, and those of us who are introverts go, please, no, I don't know. Talking and touching and inviting, that's, that's exhausting to me. I love that Peter says, to each one of you that can serve a different way, serve a different way. Just offer it in love and grace to others, however you can. Sometimes we feel most welcomed by something that we read that was mailed to us. It didn't demand physical contact or interaction. It was just a note from someone thoughtful from far away. Hospitality does not demand that we are extroverted in the same physical space all the time with one another. It demands that we engage with love and intentionality. That's hospitality, that we give love away, overwhelmed by grace, in context of relationship. So I walk outside of this conference in Chicago, and we have a little bit of a break. I only know two people there, Stephen Kelly Carr and Bob Goff now. I guess I know three. And Steve and Kelly are going on a date that night, and I don't really want to be a third wheel. So I head down to Geno's East and grab some pizza and sit outside, and I open this book. Three hours later, I finished the whole thing. Like, I didn't get up. I just read the whole thing. And I get to the last page of the book, and it says, I would love for you to call me. And it's his number in the book. Like, that can't be real. That can't be Bob Goff's real. That has to be like his assistant's number. That has to be something else. Because I got to the end of the book, and at the time I was overseeing a student ministry, and we were getting ready to have a retreat, and hundreds of kids are coming to this retreat, and I thought, based on what we're supposed to do at this retreat, this book for high school kids makes sense. Like, this is, this is a level that will make sense for them. I think we should have this book in all of their hands. 
And I got to the end of his book, and I see his number, and I'm like, I'm just going to call him and see if he wants to hook a few hundred high schoolers up with his book. Like he said, I needed one. Maybe they need one. It was about midnight when I'd finished the book, so I'm like, I'll call him tomorrow. Like I won't, I won't mess with him today. Next morning, have a break in the session, get up all the, like I was so nervous to call, like it's like a first date, right? Like I'm like, do I call him? There wasn't really, he wasn't on Twitter then, so I couldn't just send him a DM and make it less personal. I had to actually call the guy. So I call the number, and on the other end, he answers and says, hey, this is Bob. And I'm like, Bob Goff? And he's like, yep. I'm like, this is Chris. We just met yesterday in Chicago. And he's like, oh, Chris, I remember you. Tom Sawyer's Island. Awesome. You're not there already, are you? And I'm like, no, not yet. I'm still in Chicago. He's like, oh, well, I'm in Atlanta already getting ready to teach at another event. And I'm like, oh, so you're teaching tonight? And he's like, no, no, no. In five minutes, I'm getting ready to walk out on stage. I'm like, you're kidding me. And he's like, no, listen. And he puts the phone out, and you can hear the, like, Hillsong worship band. And like, I'm like, what conference? He's like, oh, it's this thing called Catalyst. And I'm like, I get the, you're at Catalyst right now? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm getting ready to walk out. How can I help you? <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're insane. I'm like, yeah, I just finished your book. He's like, I just gave it to you yesterday. I'm like, I know. He's like, you read the whole thing last night? I was like, yeah, ate some Geno's pizza, may have had a cigar, and I read your book. And he's like, what did you think? I was like, I think I have hundreds of high schoolers coming to a retreat, and this would be a blessing to them. And he's like, oh, amazing, I'm going to send you the number of my assistant, and you tell her the address, and we will mail you all the copies. I got to go, I got to walk out on stage. And I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. And I hang up the phone, and I'm like, that'll never happen. 30 minutes later, maybe an hour, I get a phone call. And it's this lady, and she says, I'm Bob Goff's assistant, and he said that he just got off the phone with you. I'm not sure really how that happened because he was on stage teaching. Did he really talk to you? I was like, yeah, right before he walked out. And she's like, he's insane. And then her response was, what did he promise you? <laughs> I don't know how this man ever makes money because I'm pretty sure his assistants are like, and now we got to do this for Bob, and then this for Bob, and then we got to figure this out. And... I said, we were going to do this. And he's like, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. Just send me the address, and we will just mail you all the copies of the book. And we'll have it. I'm like, That's fantastic. That's awesome. Like, how much do we owe you? And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, we'll send you all the copies of the book. I'm like, no, we want to pay for it. She's like, no, Bob doesn't want you to pay for it. He said, just get that guy whatever he needs because he's one of the good ones. Like, how does he even know? Tom Sawyer's Island. Two weeks later, a big stack of books show up. I get a phone call. His assistant again. Did the books arrive? The books are there. She's like, okay, Bob wanted to do one more thing. Is it okay if he Skypes into one of the main sessions just to, to pull a caper on the students? Like if he was just on video, just says hi. I'm like, let me think about it. Yes. 100% yes. My coolness factor is just growing with youth ministers too right now. I'm like, well, you got Bob Goff for free in his book. A week before the event, assistant calls me back, and she's like, I'm so sorry, Bob is not going to be able to Skype with you. And I'm like, no worries. Like, I never expected 
that was actually going to happen. We're also at this camp where I'm trying to figure out whether or not there's even Wi-Fi enough out there because I'm thinking we're going to like stand Bob up at this event. He's going to try to dial in and it's going to be this place called Butler Springs where there's just no connection to anything. And I'm like, no, this is going to be bad. And she calls, she's like, I'm so sorry. He's not able to go. I'm like, that is okay. Didn't expect it. And she's like, yeah, but he wanted me to tell you why. And I'm like, well, he doesn't owe me anything. She's like, yeah, but he needed to tell you why. He, you know, he's the consulate for Uganda, right? And I'm like, yeah, he talks about it in his book. She's like, well, he just, he just got an invitation um, from a witch doctor in prison to come and meet with him one-on-one. And so he ha- he's on a plane to Uganda right now. And I'm like, well, I guess that's a good enough reason to not Skype into my high school retreat. I never heard from Bob Goff again. But there was an event later, and I was sitting in the crowd, and he started to tell this story about the day that he got a call about a witch doctor who wanted to meet him in Uganda and how he'd been prosecuting the witch doctors because there were no laws in Uganda before that, and he'd been prosecuting them because they were physically hurting children deeply. And that he had been himself praying about giving love away like you're made of it, and um, he thought, I don't love the witch doctors like I love these children. And it was about that time that he got a phone call about coming to meet a witch doctor and he's on stage telling this story and he says and at the end this witch doctor confesses Jesus at the end of the conversation and I'm like that's the week that you missed like Skyping with us and we're reading your book like that's crazy that all these things happen just because someone chose to be consistent with love and hospitality I've never forgotten that so this week when my daughter was going to bed and my wife was reading her a story and it's this love does for kids, I didn't even know they were reading it and I hear Sarah say the words because sometimes you need to love like you're made of it. It just like comes back into my house again this week and I'm going, yeah, that. Who's within your reach that needs to be loved earnestly? Who's within your reach that just needs you to host them because you're just made of love? Who's gonna call you because you said they could? And how will you respond with grace and love? Because it doesn't matter where you host, It's just about the how. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word. Thank you for reminding me to love more, to grumble less. And I pray that you just give us ears to listen as we host those around us this week. And I pray that you come and meet us where we are if we're the ones who need hosted. If we're the ones who need a door open to us. Send people of love and encouragement to us this week. It's in your name. Amen.